Welcome to an Adapt, Improve, Achieve session by RCVS Knowledge, which was recorded at SPVS VMG Congress on the 25th of January 2020 at Celtic Manor Resort in Newport as part of the Quality Improvement Stream. In this session, we will hear from Richard Killen, former Director of Clinical Services at CVS and RCVS Knowledge Quality Improvement Advisor, and Angela Rayner, Clinical Services Manager at CVS and current RCVS Knowledge Quality Improvement Advisor. In this session, Richard and Angie discuss what CVS have been doing to improve quality and safety. They take a few key examples to provide a practical overview of what they've been doing, how they have approached it, and what impact their work has had. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jackie, for asking uh, for, for the kind words. And also, uh, thank you very much for this excellent conference for asking Angie and myself to talk today. You have got two of us. Uh, so it's like it. Yeah, I, I do have to say uh, I've just recently retired from CVS because some of you think I'm still working there, but I've actually recently retired. And Angie, uh, and when I was there, I was obviously responsible for QI. And um, Angie's now taking over the work and all my responsibilities. So uh, hopefully it'll go, all go well forward, which I'm sure it will. Um, as, uh, just a declaration of interest, I put this up because this is relevant to later on in the talk from what we just, just heard um, uh, from Suzette. Um, Andrew, as we, Jackie just said, is doing a master's in um, at Edinburgh University in patient safety and uh, is doing quite a lot with the, the board here, RCVS Knowledge Board. Now, for myself, I think this is the thing that I really want to point out. I'm a Vatley Life trustee. And I think this is something we've, Suzette sort of talked about just now, and I would like to reinforce what she said. I think QI has a major, major part of well-being in practice and practice teams. And it's just sometimes overlooked about the, the, the benefits of doing QI in practice. And, and obviously me as a vet life trustee, I don't know if you know, but our, our work is doubling every year at the moment. And, and so it's really relevant. So if we move on, um, and we also talked about practice down the ski, we talked a lot about that minute, and that will come into this bit later on. I can see Pam down there smiling at me as well. <laughs> so, Outline for today, obviously, why quality improvement. I just want to give you um, some stories. Obviously, what we're talking about today is obviously systems, and Angie's going to give you some um, discussion about those. And as Jackie just said, it's, this is going to be a bit more of a practical talk. You know, and we've heard some really high, high-end talks so far, but this is a bit more where it actually down on the ground floor working, and we're going to give you some examples of what we've done in CVS where hopefully things have made a difference um, uh, using systems and things like that. So I thought, um, why quality improvement? I want to tell you a story, because uh, I am passionate. CVS said they're passionate about animal care. I was actually passionate about QI. And, and, and I always think that if, um, people used to ask me why. And so when I was a new graduate, I was a new graduate, and I worked in a very James Herrick practice. It couldn't have been worse. This was 30, 36 years ago. Some of you may not have been born. <laughs> um, but, and, and this story may be also relevant to some people here as well. And I was, it had no nurses, obviously. We had only three vets. We had a very bossy um, boss, I think is the word. We were still using ether, So it was that basic. Anyway, I was carrying out my first cat spay. It was about, actually about the third cat spay. And obviously, you know, new graduate, and I was having trouble finding the uterus, as you know, as you know. Um, and I asked the senior partner, the partner guy, to come over to help, and obviously he couldn't find the uterus either, and sure enough, we lifted up the drape, and it was a tomcat. His reaction to me was to give me an absolute bollock in there, and he really tore me to pieces. Also, I was incredibly upset, 
and obviously just draw, and um, obviously you start to question your reason for being in the vet for your future profession. So it really hurt me. And, and obviously we did not have checklists, we did not have any QI in that practice, and we talked about the just culture. I love the word just now, just culture. We always talk about no blame culture, and we've been discussing that for a while in CVS, about how we can use a better word, and I love just culture, it's really a nice way. So, so that's the reason why I like QI. That's why it's important. And look at those well-being effects. I was really upset. I was distraught. You know, and we, we, going back to my vet life hat. Um, obviously, we know, we've heard a lot about making things better. And I, it is really important we do that. And this is something that, okay, I'm a corporate. We're a corporate. But everyone can do it. Small, James Herrick practices can do it. The, the mixed practice, large animal equine, even referral. So everyone could do it, an independence or corporates. Um, and the culture. We talked a lot about culture today. And, and we'll tell you a wee bit what we found in CVS uh, when I first started. And uh, how important it is to have this just culture. But also supportive leadership and supportive boss. But it can be fun. One word that we were talking earlier on. I think a lot of practice, a lot of fun is going to have practice. I'll be honest. Um, and I think QI can be fun and something we can help as well there. So, systems. The first thing I personally think, this is all going to be very practical, as I said. The first thing I think is you need a system to identify areas for improvement. There may be reasons, and I, I, this is my view, and this is my view, and I, I'm very much into significant events reporting in practice. If you're going to start off, or where you're going to start, where I go. And, and I, I really like this. And some of you may have heard of VetSafe. Uh, Catherine Oxaby, the lovely of Catherine Oxaby, has developed the VetSafe system, which is available on VDS. And we wrote it out in all CVS practices, and I know a lot of the other corporates have, and I think it's also going into independence as well. But I do think you need to know where you need to improve. Clinical auditing, Angie's going to give some examples of that. We talked earlier about um, client concerns, client complaints. complaints. I think and this is a real area. This is a significant event, in my opinion. And I think when you get a client complaint, you should look at it and see what did go wrong. We talked, we've obviously gone on a bit more about the um, way to look at things, about when things go right. But this is something that we can start off at. We've got to start there as well and make it better. And obviously, other methods are things like um, client questionnaires. So I thought I'd just show you, in CVS, we've been using VetSafe for about a year, uh, and we obviously gathered significant events. It is, it is interesting what we said, um, Suzette said about people not reporting things. The VetSafe I do like, actually, because it's, in, it's anonymous, and so therefore, and we are encouraging people to report as much as possible, because the more data we get, the more we can act on. And so this is CVS, um, uh, significant event reporting via VetSafe results up to September 2019. And this reflects the NHS, actually. And um, so we're not any worse or anything different. And obviously, you can see treatments and medications is by far the biggest cause of significant events, which isn't surprising, as I said, because the NHS has the same problem. It's interesting, again, why that is. And obviously, it's the wrong dog getting the wrong drug, the wrong drug given to the dog, or the other thing is the wrong amount. It's interesting that we in CVS, and I don't think we in vets, would sack our nurses after three years of reporting, three, three, three bad doses. I think we're a bit more, um, hopefully a bit more um, softer. 
But, but Angie's going to talk to you a wee bit about some of the things we did um, in regard to respond um, to that and, and simple systems we put in place. So I'm just going to hand over to Angie now. And um, obviously Angie's going to talk about the actual systems. But if I just go back to that bit there, um, there are other methods, as I say, client questionnaires. But I, I still think you need to find out what is your problems, to, where are the areas to improve, and then you then go from there. OK, Angie. We've been talking a lot about systems today. Um, I think all of our speakers have talked about systems. So, so let's just think for a second about, um, sorry, is my mic okay? That yes. sounded really weird for a minute, okay? Um, um, about what is a system? Let's define what that is, first of all. And um, there can be systems inside of systems and all of that. So, so let's talk a bit about that first. And, and so the definition is a set of interconnected components that are organized for a purpose with elements of those components that are interacting with a human being or many human beings, okay? So I've got a list of, a list of uh, just some examples there of, of systems, making coffee, things we do every day, driving a car, using a phone, um, taking a blood sample, as we said, systems within a, a system, you can take a blood sample in a cat ward inside of a vet practice. And so they all sort of get more complicated the, the bigger we get. And so, if we use the example of making coffee, something, or tea, something we do every day, and we put the kettle on and um, boil some water and, and uh, put the tea bag in or um, put some coffee in, and you might, if you're in practice, you might have a, a, um, a system where you have a, a graph of what everybody takes in their coffee or their tea, milk or sugar or something like that, and that's probably as complicated as it gets. But then if you really want some good coffee, <laughs> you then, you know, let's look at the, let's go to the Italians and their espresso, espresso machines that they use, more parts that are interacting with that, in, within that espresso machine. Um, you probably need some training um, and some experience on how to make good coffee. Um, if, if you're like me, I just go to a cafe and, and order a cafe. Uh, so, so you can see how we have a very um, simple system of kettle system to espresso system. And the more, that, the more parts that we interact with, the more complicated it gets and, more, and the more chance that there are opportunities for that system to break down or for us to potentially make errors or where things don't go as, we pl as planned. So we, we've talked a lot about today how healthcare systems are complicated, it's messy, um, but we adapt um, and, we, and we achieve good things anyway, despite that. So, um, so we'll talk a bit more about that. But so when we start, talk about, when we start thinking about systems in practice, um, systems thinking is really uh, is looking at the big picture, okay? Not just looking at sort of what individuals are doing, but what's the big picture. And so when we start looking at tasks such as taking a blood sample, we think, oh, you know, what's so complicated about that? We decide we want to take the blood, we get all of our equipment together, we take the blood, we label the blood tubes, and we fill out the form and send it off to the lab. <coughs> when you stop and think about it, it's really about, well, we need someone to hold the animal for us. We all know that that is super critical. They need to be really good at that, otherwise game over. Um, we also need someone who's skilled at taking a blood sample. Hopefully you're having a good vein day that day. 
um, uh, but also probably you need your IT system to be working. Um, it also, you need someone to take the sample to the lab, and you need a system to also, a system within a system, to um, track that, that blood sample and make sure it's coming back to you and you can report the, the results back to the, to the client. So you can see what we think is linear is actually pretty messy and complicated when you stop and look at it. So when we, when we um, take that big picture view, we now see that events are not usually caused by a single action um, by a person or a single decision that that person has made, but by, inter but by many, many interactions between people, the tasks that they're doing, the technology that they're using, the conditions that they're working in, um, but also they can be affected by management decisions, as we saw in Suzette's lecture previous to this one. Also, also policy and our regulators can also very much affect what we're doing. But the benefits of system uh, thinking is that because we're looking beyond the individual and we're focusing on improving systems of care, we now have longer-term learning and lasting change. I think we all have practices where we you may have you know, staff turnover, staff coming in, but because we have those systems embedded in place, we now have longer-term learning. And even if it's something that we can't immediately affect, such as a policy or um, something that's required of, of us by regulation, we can start to accumulate an evidence base for change. Okay, so it's, I think, um, what we're starting to do is, is accumulate an evidence base for look-like med medical packaging. You know, um, when you've got labels and bottles that look at the, exactly the same thing, uh, you know, they look the same um, in appearance, you know, how can we provide that evidence to make, you know, make a change for the future? So when we're looking at designing our systems for practice, we need to keep a few things in mind. And, I, and, it, and it's good to see this um, sort of echoed in people's uh, earlier presentations that if the design of our systems and our, or our equipment that we're using or the technology that we're using does not accommodate how we actually work every day, then we are more, more prone to things going wrong or not to plan, all right? And, then, and when that happens, our stress levels goes don't they? We will never eliminate human error. Um, we are human beings. We make mistakes. Um, quite often, the environments that we work in, um, whether we have bad systems in place or no systems in place, it can make us more prone to error. Um, but we can design systems that are resilient to our limitations as human beings. And again, systems must be designed by the people doing the work. This is work as done, rather, um, then work as imagined, as Suzette was talking about, in safety one and safety two. It, um, it's no good for a manager to design a system and say, this is how you're going to do it. It'll fail. All right? The people who are doing the job must, provide this, must be involved in designing the solutions. So here's just some examples of things you can do to design systems. Um, you can develop protocols or guidelines or checklists, but also... Um, sometimes there's a technology solution um, or look at workflow design within your practice or solutions um, to improve the environment that people are working in. Potentially, you, you might need some new equipment, but also look at the design of that equipment. And we talked about packaging and labeling as well. 
There we go. Um, systems can be simple. Um, what Richard alluded to earlier with um, within CVS, our significant event reporting, um, medication errors are our top area of reporting. And so um, they can be simple, such as you know ensuring that the the correct medication gets to the correct patient, label, um, identify your patient. Quite often, you know, you hear stories about two black cats getting, um, you know, the, the wrong medication because they, they're similar in appearance. Um, so I, identify your patient, label your syringe, you know, make sure, try and make sure um, that you're picking up the right <coughs> syringe. So these are things that can just hopefully help. And there's, there's an interesting um, story in uh, Atul Gawande, the, the Yoda of QI, I call him, um, Atul Gawande's book, Better, which is uh, notes on a surgeon's performance. And he, he has a really interesting story about um, um, the army. And uh, it was a, an army, army hospital in Afghanistan. And I think the army is really good at efficiency. They measure everything, it seems. And so... Um, so uh, it, was a, it was a good example of, um, they've had a really high surgical mortality rate and they weren't quite sure why that was. So they took a step back and they um, started looking at why that was. And to make a very long story short was that their advice was, soldiers, wear your flak jacket. They just weren't wearing their flak jacket. And so when they were in the field, they were, you know, their injuries were much more life-threatening so it can be simple, really simple advice like that. But as we know, life isn't always so simple. So we need to really um, have a framework for how we can identify all of these factors that can contribute to when things don't go to plan. Um, RCBS Knowledge brought this lovely checklist to us um, uh, to identify, to be able to identify all these factors. And you can see there's, there's also a lot of human factors in here as well. And I think, you know, quality improvement, I think um, a real lesson that I've learned today really is about um, people, building relationships, how we work um, every day and how we work together every day. So, um, this, this framework is, is really um, taken from the London Protocol, which is, um, uh, which is a, a framework that human healthcare um, uses quite a bit. So um, if you're interested, you can, you can Google the London Protocol and you'll get the paper on that. But I think we're really good at, um, you know, when we look at um, significant events, and this is anything significant to the patient or to the client or even to the practice, you know, you can apply this, this sort of thinking. Um, we're really good at, you know, focusing on the individual. Oh, they did this wrong or, you know, something about what they were doing. Oh, well, they didn't do this right and they should have done this and maybe we need to give them some more training. Well, that's sort of an individual focus. So let's take a step back and look at the systems that we're working in. And this will hopefully, um, you know, be able to identify or, or prompt you to ask the questions and prompt you to look at um, different areas that you may not have thought about before. So patient and owner factors, was there anything about your workload or staffing issues, um, leadership, design of equipment and drugs, um, physical factors. I know in, in the summertime when it's you know, 30 degrees outside and you're working in a hot surgery, um, you know, and, and also you know, any sort of policies that may affect you and your culture within, the, within your organization. 
So um, I'm going to hand over to Richard now. He's going to talk about controlled drugs recording, um, which was an issue that we had within CVS and how we applied this framework. I knew you in practice know this is a, a real troublesome area. Me as a practice standard scheme assessor, when I go around, often I see quite a lot of practice struggling with all the legislation and all the requirements for controlled drug use. Um, and it is really um, a big problem. CVS, everyone thinks corporates are good, you know, they must have everything sorted out. Um, I can tell you, we were not good at, at this. This is what happened in 2016 when I joined. We did an audit of, of, of CVS controlled drugs across all the practices of what we actually, they, we were auditing what they were buying, what they were recording they were using, and then obviously making adjustments for stock. And we had a 70% variance. It was terrible. It was a right mess, to be frank. Um, the VMD allowed just 10%, up to 10%. We were 70%. We had issues, obviously, with poor recording. And obviously, we were concerned about was there other more serious factors, such as theft or misuse. So we had a real problem. And as this is a significant event for CVS. So um, we looked at this, um, obviously the contributory factors, which Angie um, just mentioned, and how these all apply to us. And you'll see how this sort of works with our example. And this is where we were. This is where we were when we looked at it. Obviously, controlled drugs, no one took charge. You'd have multiple people in charge often. Obviously, there are some exceptions, there's some very good, but this is a sort of generalisation. No one was in charge, there was no one, everyone, everyone was busy, we talked about big time earlier on, we talked about unfamiliar procedures, people didn't actually know what was required of them, they didn't understand what was, what was the legislation around it all. Um, leadership, this was really interesting. Um, so I sat on the exec in CVS, the executive just didn't care. They weren't interested. The CEO wasn't that bothered by this, even though he would possibly have been a, a, um, in jail and all that. Um, <laughs> It was, but they, and, and that just filtered down. You know, we talked about leadership earlier on, but how strong, how important is leadership? We'll come to that later on. Is driving it right down to practice level and directors. I think um, and Pam would probably support me here. It was flippant. The use of controlled drugs in practice was, in some cases, unfortunately, flippant. Particularly in equine, actually, in large animal, uh, they they're the worst. Um, so then, but we were then going on about drugs, even our cabinets, we were all over. Key safety was a joke. They were kept in first aid boxes, they were kept in drawers, they were hanging from hooks. It was all over the place. It's because it hasn't been important in CVS. And our drug registers were also a big joke. There were loose pieces of paper in files up to the complicated hospital books that no one knew how to fill in. And often the gaps in the books are so small you couldn't fill the information in. Anyway, so we had all this, and CVS gave no training. Um, it's, it's interesting about guidelines policies that there, there was a sort of loose one. There had been in the past the, the, the typical messages that people get make sure you control, do your controlled drugs properly. But that's it. That's, that's tick the box. Just do it, all right? Just do it. <laughs> um, and obviously, we had no communication, no training. Uh, and lots of um, areas which, on the computer factors, you can see um, fitted in. So what did we do? This is a significant event. This was serious. My CEO was possibly going to jail. Um, I did say I'd go and visit him. 
and, and all that. And we've gone to UCO now. <laughs> and so um, it was all very serious. And this is what we did. So we talked about systems. This is a, a multiple system, so we put lots of systems in place. And the first one was obviously someone had to be, every practice had to have had a dispensary. So we have someone in charge, and we often have a deputy as well, because obviously we know people on holiday. Um, we talked about, it's interesting again, Suzette talked about this, support. We gave these people massive support. We visited local practices, as Angie and myself, and we visited them, we talked to them on the phone and helped them. And we gave them um, education. It, it was compulsory that every head of dispensary went on a day's course. We made everyone go on. Um, and that, that was um, um, uh, a big thing. So they knew exactly what was expected. And then obviously we did, we did an audit. So an audit created an audit, which was quite interesting. And um, we did an audit of our cabinets. And do you know, we had 120 that were totally illegal. This is CVS. And so we had to replace them. And then we were talking earlier on about equipment, things like that. And we actually worked out, this is going to be the cabinet you're going to have, because also you make sure it met the, the requirements. And this is where you're going to get it, to make it easy for practice as well. Um, we did a deal with the other corporates of witness waste disposal, because there's a big problem about uh, denaturing. And we even put pressure with the VMD on um, the production of a 5 mil ketamine. This is the power of the corporates. Um, because some of you know that ketamine, 10 mil is a big problem for wastage. Um, the controlled drug registry was obviously a real big issue for us, so we thought, right, no one fills it in properly, and it's all over the place, so we designed a new one completely with the VMD, with big gaps, so people can actually fill the name in and actually sign it. And we've designed it in such a way that you just had to fill it in correctly and therefore do the things that needed to be done. And we did this, we're talking about making sure you work with the people. We did it with the heads of dispensary. We asked, always we asked them. So we got the people in place and they were our forum to help us get these systems in place. And also we did a policy. And again, one of the biggest queries we always got was, Eventually, they started doing weekly reconciliations. It's one of the requirements. And they discovered they didn't have the right amount of controlled drug. And we were always getting phone calls. How do you, how do you look for it? How do you look for it? You know, have you checked your pockets? You know, but, but we actually set up, within the policy, a way how to investigate. And believe it or not, that completely cut down the amount of queries that we got. And internal communications. It's interesting, again, about talking to the people. So I, we had roadshows, clinical roadshows, when I first started. And I explained this problem to them all. We actually had forums in the afternoon, so I did the talk in the morning. And there were 600 people there, 600 vets and managers. So we got to quite a lot of people. And then in the afternoon, we asked them, what can we do to help? So we did a lot of sort of come and throw in and all that. And obviously, I think you all know about um, QI. I'm a bit simple in a way. I had to think things simply. It's interesting we talked about language earlier on as well. Uh, but with QI, my, my thing is you look at the find out what the problem is, do something about it, and then re-measure it and see if you've proved it, and then just keep that circle going around. And obviously we carried on doing auditing, which you'll see the results in a minute. And we did things like newspapers as well and all that. So we did a lot. Um, this we did very fast. We didn't hang around. And these are the results. And so it's a dramatic improvement. And um, this is QI. This is where QI, with systems in place, being put in place, and we're getting some good results. And so we went from 70% down to 8%. And then we have, Angie talked about sustained culture and all that. And obviously, we've now down to 4%, which is fantastic. And it's interesting about feeding back to your staff, you know, feeding back to the teams and all that. 
So I did the roadshow, and I did the roadshow this year, and I showed them that, and I did every year, actually. And we showed them the results, and obviously we thanked them. This is interesting about thank you, and I'm a great believer in that as well. And I thanked them all. And do you know, when I showed them this, they all stood up and clapped. Because they were so pleased. That's 600 CVS managers, can you imagine? That's quite an achievement. But, but mm, they really buyed into QIN as a result because they were seeing success. And they could see how it was making a big difference. But anyway, I'm just going to now hand over to Andrew because even more complicated one that we've been dealing with, which is um, a, an interesting situation. We recently undertook, sort of within the last year or so, was to promote responsible use of um, highly um, important, critically, sorry, highest priority, critically important antibiotics. <laughs> there we go. Um, we, I think we recognize this, you know, antimicrobial um, resistance as a, as a global health concern. Um, for everyone, um, both public health and animal health. And so this is an area I think quite important to us and I think to everyone else as well. So I really wanted to share this with you today. And, um, and this sort of came about really when we were doing uh, a clinical audit on uh, around perioperative um, neutering procedures. And we noticed that um, we had a few practices that were uh, routinely using um, antibiotics um, for every procedure. So we thought, okay, well, let's look into this a bit further. And we decided to partner up with SAVSNET. Um, hopefully, you, you're all, all familiar with SAVSNET. They're here, here today, um, down in the exhibitor's um, um, room. So if you, if you haven't met them before, I, um, they're, they're lovely people, and um, they, they can surely help you out there. But it's a small animal um, health surveillance um, network um, connected with the University of Liverpool. So um, now we, we decided to partner up and... Um, to, for, for a few reasons. The, the, aim, of the, the aim of the study was, was uh, twofold, really. To, to be able to create a framework um, for practices to then reflect on their prescribing of these critically important antibiotics. But then also, um, what works in practice? To be able to figure out, okay, how, how do people prescribe these antibiotics appropriately? And how do we support them in that endeavor? And so, um, so we undertook this study, and it wasn't to replace anybody's clinical freedom or decision-making. I'm a vet myself. Nobody wants that, okay? But just to consider current guidelines and also using our clinical experience. Uh, and because sometimes it is appropriate to prescribe a fluoroquinolone or a third-generation kephalosporin, especially when we've used culture and sensitivity. Um, but let's reflect and see, are there areas where we can, where we can do better? So we took 60 practices and we grouped, we random, randomized them and grouped them into three groups. The first group was the high intervention um, practices. So they received all of the resources that you see here on, on the board. And, and what was quite critical here was that we, we thought this is what they needed, okay? in order to um, prescribe responsibly. And it was really you know, how to access your SAVSNET portal so for benchmarking data. Um, you know, CVS has an AMR policy that, that gives sort of guidelines on how to prescribe. 
Um, also some advice on infection control, um, but also um, some clinical support as well. And these are senior vets that really went out to support practices in this study. We've got one here today. <laughs> um, also, we provided clinical records uh, to practices to, so that they could sit down with their teams and review cases and uh, so that they can reflect on, on their prescribing habits and if, if things could have been done better. But we also supplied the contributory factors checklist, and this was adapted for this study to identify the challenges that practices face to responsible prescribing. And how can we possibly overcome them, but more importantly, how can they be supported to overcome them? So here's our checklist again, and when we went through the checklist with everyone, here's what we found as far as challenges. People weren't familiar that we even, even had an AMR policy. They didn't know what it was or they didn't know how to find it. And so um, we thought, well, that was important that they know um, what the guidance is, first of all. But also, if there was locums in that, in that practice, um, there was no induction for them. They had no idea there was a, a policy in existence. Um, they, of course, um, there was a, a, a big part of, of the issue was um, CFAVESA in use, especially for compliance issues. Okay, oftentimes when you can't pill a cat, they get a jag of convenia, don't they? So, it's, um, so there was a, lot, a, a big use of sifovestin here. But a lot of people didn't know that this was a critically important antibiotic as well. So there was some education there. Uh, owner factors were um, people expected an antibiotic when they walked in the door and they put a lot of pressure on vets to prescribe an antibiotic. And they also knew about this depot injection that lasted two weeks and it was so much easier than just, you know, having to pill their cat every day. So they requested it. Um, staff shortages as well uh, limited people's time to be able to work up cases appropriately. They didn't have time to have the conversation or um, to do cytology that might direct, you know, them differently. So they just didn't have time. Also, um, the drugs on the shelves were a bit of a limiting factor. We found out, you know, um, there was no trimethoprim sulfa product on the, uh, on the shelves anymore. There's no veterinary product. So um, people were reaching for a fluoroquinolone or some other sort instead of reaching for this first-line antibiotic that no longer existed to them. What really surprised us here was that um, access to a microscope quite a few practices didn't have one. And this would, of course, really limit their ability to perform cytology. And um, if they did have one, it was either broken or people didn't know how to use it or they kept it in a cupboard. So, and it never came out of the cupboard. So um, our advice was take it out of the cupboard, put it in a central location so people can actually use it. But we actually, I think, ordered almost 100, uh, sorry, 100 microscopes put microscopes into, into practices so people can use them. But also, um, people needed to know how to use them. They weren't sure how to use them. Uh, they, they weren't sure how to do cytology. So there's a training need there. But I think what's most importantly, they didn't have time to do these, these things. So we needed to make sure that they had time to reflect and time to, to do what they were trained to do and do what they wanted, wanted to do. 
And lastly, um, clinical note recording. Um, sometimes there weren't any clinical notes. Um, sometimes they were very brief, and, and so there was, there was um, some issues on uh, being able to uh, decipher treatment plans or follow treatment plans um, when, when uh, animals were being seen again. So here's what we put in place. Training on cytology, how to use a microscope, how to stain slides, how to... Uh, um, uh, obtain a diagnostic sample, so basic lab essentials, skills. We um, approved access to microscopes, whether that's just ordering one in or fixing what they had or um, putting it in, in a more central location. Um, for our, in our, we use RoboVet for a PMS, and, and you can, use, you can uh, develop a template for clinical notes to make it really um, sort of faster and efficient to record your clinical notes when you only have a minute to do it in practice. Um, we sourced a human um, TMPS product so we can get it back on the shelves. A lot of practices developed their own client education um, on AMR, and they involved the client um, in that discussion. Uh, you know, so if they asked for an antibiotic or asked for the cefavestin injection, they said, hang on, I don't think maybe an, an antibiotic is appropriate here, or let's think about a different product because of this, this, and this reason because antibiotic resistance is a concern for everybody. There were often infection control measures that were improved, um, but mainly uh, leaders were empowered by the data that we gave them. They often didn't know that they were above average prescribers of these important antibiotics. So it was really a surprise to many of them. They had no idea. And so it was, in, and to their, you know, uh, you know, they, I'm really proud that, you know, they were all very on board. They said, yeah, this is important, and we need to work on this. So um, it's, 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 it's really good news in, in that respect. But they could also really measure their progress, because we sent them data every two months so that they could measure their progress and see how they were doing. And we gave them time to do this, most importantly. And so here's, here's the um, outcome of the, of the study. Now, this is in cats, and we had similar results in dogs as well, okay? So you can see here, this is the, the timeline of the study, and the study went on for six months. But the, the horizontal red line is when the study started. You can see the green line here is our benchmark. These are people who didn't take part in the study. Uh, they were, I guess, what you call average prescribers. <laughs> and so... The red line is the um, high intervention group, the high resource group. Now you can see here at the start of the study, they were way, they were way up here, okay? At the start of the study, here. First month of the study, decreased by 40%, which is really unheard of, really. Um, and, and that change was sustained for the rest of the study. For, for six months' time. Now, we're still, we're still keeping an eye on, on things, see how things are going. But really, I think um, it's, it's a testament to taking a holistic approach to, um, to making improvements within your practice and involving people in, in making those solutions. Um, and so we can see in the, um, just to mention, the light, in, the light intervention group and the control group, there was no significant change at all. Okay. 
everybody who took part in, in the study loved it. They were calling me on the phone, Angie, we want some more data. Send us our data. So they were really keen. And, um, and so here's a few comments from, from everybody that participated. It's really changed the way they prescribe in practice. It's increased our use of further diagnostics before we rely on antibiotics. And it's a massive opportunity to engage the team. So not only are we, are we doing you know, our best in uh, antimicrobial prescription, but also we're doing great things for our team members as well. And the good news is that anyone can do it. Anyone can have access to SAVSnet and, and benchmarking. Um, you can appoint an AMR champion within your practice to lead this and get everyone on board and excited about it. Um, uh, BSAVA Protect Me has great guidelines that are, that are already published on um, how to prescribe responsibly. You can fill out a Protect Me poster, have it hanging in your practice as a reference. Um, Bella Moss has great um, guide, guidance on infection control. But I think what was really important to the success of this study was giving people um, time to review the cases and to talk to each other and to learn from each other to see how um, improvements could be made. But also using the checklist to identify the challenges. And they will be different in every practice. So it's, it's good to have that, that holistic view and ask those questions that we may not normally ask. So just to give you a heads up, in hopefully this summer, um, we'll be co-branding a toolkit with SAVSnet to be able to roll this um, audit out to the profession. So it'll, it'll be basically what we've talked about today. So you, you've had a sneak preview. Um, but um, this study will be published hopefully this summer, and the toolkit will come out at the same time. So just in summary, um, you know, how to design systems for safe practice, identify areas of weakness, or perhaps maybe they're, you know, they're things you're doing well already, keep doing them. How can we make them better? Use the significant event audit sort of framework to um, really bring to light all of the factors that we need to be considering. Use the checklist to help you um, have that big picture view. Be prepared for surprises and don't make assumptions. I think we all, we all assumed that everybody knew how to do cytology. Everybody knew how to, how to use a microscope, but that's not always the case. Um, we, we figured everybody would just, you know, knew their, um, uh, you know, that this, this is, was an issue in their practice. They, they don't know. So don't make assumptions. Be prepared for surprises. Try and make things as simple and practical as you possibly can. Um, involve the team is really important. Make sure everyone's on board and feels involved. And then measure to ensure that the changes that you've made are appropriate ones. Okay? So really, yes, so everyone can do it. And um, as I say, Anne, we've all talked about that. And the holistic view, I think always when you're looking at any incident, look at the bigger picture. Don't just go for simple. Look at all the many things that contribute, which hopefully we've shown you examples. Obviously, um, the well-being effects, I think we've talked about that um, a lot, and about my own personal self. Um, and with my incident of myself and my cat's bay. One thing I'm really pleased about, and I will do a bit of publicity for them, I think this is a fantastic piece of work from RCVS Knowledge. This is a real great start. If I had these checklists when I was doing that at cat's bay, I would not have done a tomcat. 
and just starting off basically in surgeries. We talked about culture and leadership. I think we talked about it a lot today. And, um, and I think this is where we had a real difference in CVS. Um, we, uh, Ryan's here, who's a, um, a CVS um, clinical um, dean type person. He, we've changed it, I think. That people, as you can see from the antibiotics, from the controlled drugs and all that, and we actually did put people in charge and practicing clinical uh, in, in uh, QI. And obviously Angie's role as director of QI. We've raised uh, the profile a lot. And, and people are really enjoying it. They want it and they're happy. And, and there is a commercial thing, of course. If people are happy, they will stay. And being a corporate, we don't want people leaving. So finally, just this. So design systems. And again, we've talked about this all day today. Patients, client, and, and I think that should be key. Yeah. And, and finally, we'd like to thank RCVS Knowledge, actually, for their help at CVS, but also um, for their help generally and, and Thousandettes as well. Okay, thank you. Quick thing. I'm really keen to share what we've been doing with CVS. Um, and in that box right there is our latest QI report. Feel free to grab one on your way out if you'd like to just have a, a gander. And I'm really, you know, interested in hearing what you all are doing in practice and how we can share ideas and learn from each other. Thank you. For free courses, examples, and templates for quality improvement in your practice, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcvsknowledge.org.